It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Here we go without uh, markets. It's Good Friday and hope you are having a good one and plan a great Easter holiday. And observe that in the way that you and your family are likely to do and probably have done your whole life. We are here with the midday program on the Rural Radio Network. Lots of information, lots going on. We're going to turn it over first off to Paul Perkins. How does our weekend holiday weather in that Husker game look? Well, it looks like uh, we could see some rain chances as you do head to Lincoln tomorrow. Thanks to a cold front moving east across the area tomorrow, we are looking at a chance of some showers and thunderstorms potentially probably by the end of the game, a 40% chance of rain or thunderstorms in Lincoln. Some mostly cloudy skies at kickoff and temperatures should be in the low 70s. West winds at 15 to 20. Luckily not too chilly, but the potential is there for some rain in Eastern Nebraska and Kansas tomorrow. As you head towards the west and central, though, lesser chances of rain and maybe some potential of some severe weather later today with some thunderstorms reforming. Of course, have some rain moving through the Lincoln and Omaha area and departing much of the area down into West Point, down into Lincoln and Omaha currently. Thinking it might be a good opportunity for you to break out that Husker slicker that you've never had an opportunity to wear yet. <laughs> Definitely a good opportunity, but it looks like Easter Sunday looking pretty good for everybody as that front does push out all the moisture for the time being. Then we return to a more active period coming up. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it very much. And uh, we have Joe Gagwish over here. Lots of ag policy decisions that are being uh, probably still thought about as we get through a long marketless weekend. And that's right. Uh, we'll be talking lots of ag news to fill up your midday today. Chabelle and Susan have ag info for you. Susan has an update on lambing season with the South Dakota State University sheep expert. That'll be at 12:13. Our weekly visit with weather. We'll get even more on the weather in the coming week with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist Al Dutcher. Shaley talks with him at 1219. Our very own Jason Jorgensen, you might have heard of him, famous sports guy at KRVN. He, he gets a preview of the spring game tomorrow. Jason, uh, preview your interview. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm shocked you said famous. <laughs> but uh, we'll talk to someone who is famous. That would be Sean Callahan of HuskerOnline.com. We'll get the lowdown from him on tomorrow's game. Over 70,000 strong will be on hand. That is incredible. That That is uh, unlike many spring games across the country, isn't it? It is glorified practice. <laughs> and it helps that uh, Big Ten Network will not have it live. So I don't, I don't know if a lot of folks realize that. They will play it back at four. Now, with stations who are along the Husker Sports Network will have it tomorrow. Okay. Coverage at 11. You can never get too much pregame for a practice. <laughs> That's no, right. No, no. Uh, <laughs> pregame at 11. <laughs> Kick off at one. Lots of folks want to see uh, the new Bob Diaco defense. So, well, you'll see them line up in the three-four. But as the coach said this week, they they aren't going to show anything. Yeah. He said, if you're wasting your time looking at this video, if you're trying to figure out what they're going to do. But two main reasons why there will be more than seventy thousand people on hand: one, the new defense, and two, you have a quarterback battle. So when you put those two things together, that's a recipe. And hopefully the weather holds off. That's a recipe for a pretty decent crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're also planning to do this uh, kind of just as a shirts and skins sort of game, aren't they? Well, they're dividing up uh, two teams, which is the way they used to do it. Yeah. Then some years it's been the defense versus the offense. Also, there will be more than 30 recruits on hand. They hope to get maybe four or five verbal commitments out of the weekend. So it's 
just a big old show. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's kind of cool for that big Husker, even spring game crowd to, to show that kind of crowd support at a spring game. That's got to be impressive for a kid coming in. You would think so. Yeah. You would think so. Absolutely. When you don't have beaches and oceans, you have to do something. <laughs> they have an ocean of red. We have, we have corn and planting season, so they, they can look forward that, to that. That'll bring in the five stars. <laughs> there you go. I had, uh, just to wrap it up on the ag side, 117, Jesse Harding with Mike Bame, Harlan Vice Chancellor and Vice President of the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at UNL, discussing the Water for Food Conference that took place in Lincoln this week and also the recent Nebraska FFA convention. So lots of ag information today. Plenty to review, plenty to preview. And now Bob Brogan has a look at what's not going on in the business world today. I can tell you for sure, U.S. financial markets are closed. Yes. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> no, Which actually, you can't. <laughs> That's right. right. In many locations. So, in observance of Good Friday, financial markets are closed. Yesterday, stocks finished lower for the third straight day. The Dow Jones lost 138 points, so we're going to be watching that when the markets reopen. Consumer prices fell last month by the largest amount in more than two years, pushed down by another sharp decline in energy prices. Also, a lawyer for a man who suffered a concussion and lost two teeth when he was dragged off a United Express flight. He is saying that he's, uh, the, the, uh, his client is a poster child for the mistreatment of passengers on, uh, f- by the airline industry. And the attorney plans to uh, sue the city of Chicago and a lot of other folks. So other things going on. Obamacare is proving more of a challenge than the Trump administration had bargained for. <coughs> Insurers are saying that Mr. Trump must do more to stabilize Obamacare. And here's something interesting. Tesla is saying that the company plans to unveil an electric semi-truck in September. So, you know, we could have dump trucks running around, (laughs) running on electricity, tractors, uh, who knows what else. It it seems like you can't go through three days without Elon Musk announcing a new breakthrough on (laughs) on that front. He's got uh, his big... uh, Electric panels that he's going to be selling people. The cars are out there. I, if he can, if he can make good on half of the things he claims he can, I think it's going to be pretty impressive. Also, he still needs some work on his cars that are supposed to drive themselves. <laughs> I think they backed off on that. <laughs> There's way too much liability involved with that one. Well, we have uh, a big announcement that we need to make about uh, the Midday Program. We have just been informed that the Midday Program podcast will now be available daily on iTunes and is also available now on TuneIn, the app on your smartphone. So if you are uh, haven't been getting it on your KRVN app or you are normally associated or familiar with iTunes or TuneIn, you can just look for the midday KRVN midday uh, podcast there, and uh, you'll be able to uh, see all that there. We're going a little long today because we have a little bit longer to fill. I just need to ask everybody here, who left the peeps on my desk signed from the Easter Bunny? You won't get a peep out of me. <laughs> Enjoy that sugary treat. Won't I, you? Would be, I would be bouncing off the walls if I tried that. But, and I thought you wanted my peeps, so I oh, said, so, here you go, Dirk. I don't need any peeps. <laughs>
bring Paul Perkins back and see what's going on a little more in depth with uh, kind of a number of uh, rolling disturbances running through the region. Huh? Yes, um, numerous opportunities. A couple of opportunities today for some rain. We have the system now moving through eastern Nebraska. We had that this morning in much of central Nebraska. Now those showers and thunderstorms starting to move towards the Nebraska-Iowa border, especially some moderate activity from about Omaha. Then it kind of curves back into the Seward and Lincoln area. That activity continuing to move off towards the northeast. Later today, some more thunderstorms are possible as we see some low pressure start to strengthen over eastern Colorado. A few of those storms could be on the severe or strong side. The best chances of seeing some severe activity going today be from about McCook to Phillipsburg and points to the south over western Kansas, right where that dry line usually forms. So we could see a few thunderstorms get on the severe side if they do start firing with that area of low pressure over eastern Colorado. Then those storms will gradually migrate to the north and northeast. So another opportunity later today for some rain. Now tomorrow morning, most of that precipitation should be into eastern Nebraska and Kansas. And we will see some drying conditions across the west and central, which will make for some good timing on Easter holiday plans. A cold front will track east tomorrow with those northwest winds and much drier air. Thunderstorms, though, expected to redevelop along that front during the afternoon and evening in eastern Nebraska and Kansas, or mainly southeast of a line from York down to Osborne in Kansas. And that could, of course, interfere if you're at the Husker spring game tomorrow. Mostly cloudy skies expected for the game. Nice temperatures, temperatures in the low 70s, but there is that 40% chance of rain or thunderstorms that could form as that front continues to plow to the east. West winds tomorrow at 15 to 20. Otherwise, we are looking at a nice uh, Easter holiday for everybody. It appears Easter morning will be the coldest morning of the next seven days. If you're going to a sunrise service, you may want to bundle up if it's outside. Temperature is expected to dip down to the mid-30s to around 40. High High pressure does drop south for Easter Sunday for some mild and dry weather across the area. Slight chances for thunderstorms start to return by Sunday night into Monday with some likely chances by Monday night. Now, those exact rain chances could change due to some differences in the forecast models. In our long-term outlook, temperatures start out will start taking a turn towards the cooler. To start in the middle of next week, temperatures will be right near normal to just above normal in Nebraska and Kansas. Those temperatures now expected to trend cooler than normal by next weekend through April 27th. Now, usually in that time in central Nebraska, we have daytime highs in the mid-60s with overnight lows around 40. Once again, expecting a cooler than normal trend by the end of next week on into the 27th. The precipitation forecast also looking active. What are the normal conditions expected in Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the 27th? Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the low 50s. If you're along and northwest of a line from Norfolk to North Platte and Imperial. So once again, low 50s northwest of that line from Norfolk to North Platte and Imperial. South of that line in south and east Nebraska into all of Kansas, the soil temperatures are currently in the mid to upper 50s. On the plains, weather systems continuing to depart and enter as difference in disturbances track to the east. Texas right now leading the plain states with 40% of its winter wheat headed. That's followed by Oklahoma with 8%. But it's been a very warm winter across the south. In the south, Arkansas's wheat is 65% headed. That's compared to the average of 18%, so well ahead of normal. 
In the Corn Belt, some mild weather is replacing some previously cool conditions. The field work, though, remains sluggish across large sections of the central and east Corn Belt in the wake of recent heavy rain. In the next few days, the cooling trend will take place across the nation's northern tier. Warm weather will re- uh, prevail in other areas of the United States. A rather active weather pattern will lead to scattered showers in all areas of the country except for the southwest and parts of the lower southeast. Five-day rainfall totals could reach one to three inches across the eastern plains and the upper Midwest. Well, amounts should generally total less than an inch on the high plains and throughout the east. Paul Perkins and Regional Ag Weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, a Ranky dealer in Holdridge, Alda, Lexington, Ravana, 308-995-4000. I was just uh, kind of poking around all the area uh, weather service offices. Everyone seems to be talking about at least the possibility of some isolated severe stuff, maybe even golf ball-sized stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right now, uh, S- Storm Prediction Center placing much of the area in a marginal risk for severe storms. That better area of severe activity, the potential, the greater potential in a slight risk area. And once again, that's in that area from about McCook to Phillipsburg and points to the south, the kind of a, a, a thin sliver across western Kansas, usually where we see that dry line always right. form this time of year. Yep. Historically, that's... Right on the money. And where it comes out of, yep. yep. Okay. Well, we'll keep a very close eye peeled for you on that here on 880KRVN. And uh, we would invite you to, when you need weather anytime, check uh, out the weather page. And that's at KRVN.com. Mother Nature's helped out many sheep producers this lambing season with at least some decent weather. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dr. Jeff Held is at South Dakota State University. He's the university's sheep expert as we look at this year's lambing season. Well, clearly the the lambing season is uh, you know occurs uh, nearly the same period of time each year, and the weather is and it has an impact. Uh, those that are lambing in in those first couple months of the year, they know that it's going to be cold and snowy. Well, it's a little better than average. Just go around throughout the Midwest. Uh, currently, March, April, in most of the region, not muddy, um, relatively dry. So, um, you health and the matching nutritional needs uh, during lactation. And then the lamb, uh, uh, typical things we look at, respiratory diseases and things, uh, that uh, are compounded by the weather, uh, probably less of a concern, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, in operations this last uh, this this particular production cycle. Producers got to start thinking about marketing if they haven't already done so. And I know that there are a few sale barns that continue to bring in <coughs> lots of buyers. But what are some things that they need to think of? Time of year, market weights. What's going to bring the best bang for their buck? But there has been a lot of enthusiasm in the sheep industry and as a reflection of the livestock sector. Uh, lamb values have been very strong. Uh, we came through the first quarter at about a dollar thirty-five unfinished lambs, and uh, that's edged up as we move into the end of the first and into the second quarter of the year. Um, maybe uh, um, a reflection of we call we used to refer to this as the uh, Eastern market. For finished lambs, where we see a spike prior, it uh, we did see some movement, and that hasn't been really a, a noticeable blip on the on the on movement in the last 15 years. Now it could be about a holiday season, but it could simply be about supply and infrastructure in the industry. 
growers have certainly uh, look at uh, their lamb crop coming forward, and we look at if we have movement upward in prices uh, here already now, where are we going to be in the summer, and that's anyone's guess. And what producers uh, do look at, though, is this time of year where uh, we have 60 to 90-day-old lambs and younger that are um, weaned or still on the on the ewes, and they're asking, do I sell my lambs as feeders or do I finish those lambs into that summer market? And interestingly, this uh, the the relationship between the finish value and the and the feeder lamb, which is our sixty to ninety pound lamb in the Midwest, has been influenced dramatically by the non traditional trade that exists in this country. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've seen lambs. Uh, 60 weight lambs bringing $3 a pound out here in the country. And, uh, you know, if we were to compute that and take that lamb forward into a finish, the break-even would be in with a very thin uh, or non-existent margin as uh, uh, in, in a uh, prediction where we might be in the summer. So what's the model? The model is feeder lambs are going directly into consumption channels for the non-traditional trade uh, and mostly the East Coast, but other parts of the U.S. where lambs are um, consumed on a regular basis and on the light edge. Those comments of Dr. Jeff Held. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We're seeing showers here as we head into Easter weekend. I'm Shaylee Peters, and I visit today here with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher for our weekly weather feature. And Al, as we head towards Easter here this weekend, uh, can we expect some more of these showers, or what's on the way for us? Well, the shadow rain that we're seeing is part of a complex that moved over the southern plains and has steadily moved to the north, began to weaken, but as it got toward the Nebraska border, we've seen a redevelopment of shower activity during the early a.m. hours in response to a trough moving across the northern plains in the upper atmosphere. That's helped to generate this active weather that developed over south-central Nebraska and moving east-northeastward throughout the day. Expected by early afternoon to basically move to the east of Nebraska, and then we'll turn our attention to another short wave moving into the British Columbia area that's going to rapidly move into a position in south-central Saskatchewan over the next 24 hours and strengthen as it moves into that position. What that will end up doing is pushing a cold front through the state as we go through the overnight hours, triggering some scattered shower activity in the northwestern part of the state, but more concentrated precipitation is expected over northeast Nebraska as we get in the post-midnight hours into the early a.m. hours. And then that front tends to slow down a little bit. And the big question for tomorrow in eastern Nebraska is where will the cold front lay? If it uh, stops, as according to the GFS, it'll be somewhere right along the I-80 corridor in south east Nebraska. If we look at the European, it drags it much farther toward the southeast, more into the area between uh, basically uh, Fall City and Nebraska City. And so the thunderstorm activity will be displaced a little bit more to our southeast. But that system will push through tomorrow afternoon. Whatever thunderstorms develop will be primarily one for east central and southeast Nebraska. It'll be a little bit cooler on Sunday than it was uh, tomorrow. 
basically going from the 70s into the 60s, but it's going to be a very nice day. A little cool for sunrise services for those that are going out to those, uh, but overall a nice day for Easter. And then we start to turn our attention to a series of waves that will be moving across the country over the next seven-day period. Beginning Monday afternoon, we'll turn our attention to a low move crossing the Rocky Mountains that is expected to generate some precipitation in the panhandle as early as Monday night, and then fill in as it moves toward the east. There is some discrepancies between the models, but it does look like a fairly decent shot of moisture, particularly Tuesday across the eastern half of the state. Some locations will receive more than an inch of precipitation if the models tend to verify. Then as we go through the remainder of the week, the mean troughing pattern in the west will eject out a series of waves into our region. The location of the precipitation tends to vary, but there is a respectable chance of scatter shower activity, particularly over the eastern half of the state as we go through Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday before yet another significant wave begins to move into the Pacific Northwest. And that one starts to spread some moisture out as we get into the latter half of next weekend. Um, timing on these events is going to be the real suspect in terms of the forecast. It just, just looks like there's going to be numerous opportunities for convection. Not everybody's going to get it in any single day. But the cumulative impact should lay anywhere from a half an inch to an inch of moisture from the panhandle into the central portion of the state. And from the central portion of the state eastward, probably looking at about accumulation of a half an inch up to an inch and a half with the heavier moisture over Iowa and Illinois. As we look a little farther down the road, that active pattern continues all the way to the end of the month. And the one thing the models have done for the last couple of days is point to a rather significant event developing between the 27th and the 28th over the central plains. And this could be a widespread severe weather outbreak. It's something we'll keep in turn, keep an eye on as we get a little bit closer to see whether there's consistency in the models, but it does look like a fairly significant moisture event. All right. Thanks, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher visiting with us today. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, over 70,000 fans are expected to be at the Nebraska Spring Game tomorrow. And you will also host more than 30 potential recruits who have received scholarship offers from the Big Red. Head coach Mike Riley breaks down how the format will go. It's not going to be offense against defense. We're going to form two teams that will be selected, finalized, and selected by the coaching staff. Kickoff tomorrow is set for 1 o'clock Central. Now, the game will not be televised live by the Big Ten Network, but it will be aired on a tape-delay basis at 4. Another big weekend awaits the Husker baseball team as Nebraska takes on Iowa. NU's won 15 out of its last 19, and while that streak has been nice, head coach Darren Erstad says they haven't accomplished anything yet. We're ultimately, right now, we have to qualify for our own conference tournament. So, you know, as, as deep as our league is this year, with the type of draw we had, we face some very quality opponents. We just don't have the luxury of thinking we can just show up, roll the balls out there, and win a series. That's, that's just not going to happen. So, not to mention, we're not good enough to do that. So, we, we have to, you know, reset and get back to playing, you know, like we have each day throughout the last you know month or so. Now, the Huskers are four one and one in conference action. That puts them in second place behind undefeated Minnesota in the conference standings. Iowa, they're three and three. That's good enough for a tie for sixth. Each team also has twenty wins on the season. Game one of the series starts tonight in Lincoln at 635. The NCAA has voted to allow high school football players to sign with colleges as early as December, make early official visits, and put a two-year waiting period on bowl subdivision teams from hiring people close to a recruit. 
If approved by the Board of Governors on April 26th, the signing period change would take effect August 1st. The other significant change to the recruiting calendar would allow recruits to make official visits between April and June of their junior year in high school. The Division I Council also approved a measure to eliminate two-a-day practices. That would take effect immediately if approved. And the St. Louis Cardinals say Hall of Fame outfielder Lou Brock was recently diagnosed with bone cancer. The 77-year-old was supposed to appear at a Bush Stadium event on April 25th, but that had to be canceled due to his health issues. The former all-time leader in stolen bases had his left leg amputated below the knee in late 2015 because of an infection caused by complications with diabetes. He has since worn a prosthesis to throw out an occasional ceremonial first pitch at Cardinals games. Brock was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1985 in his first year of eligibility. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chance of showers continuing today with highs in the 70s and some upper 60s in the central and northeast. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities have released the name of a Grand Island man who died in the crash of his pickup truck. It occurred around 1 a.m. this morning. Police say an officer saw the speeding pickup and clocked it at 98 miles per hour. The officer lost sight of the pickup as he began a chase. The pickup wreckage soon was spotted where it had rocketed off an overpass and struck a building. The driver is pronounced dead at the scene. He is 25-year-old Cesar Gutierrez. Nebraska's NRDs are again organizing an adventure camp for middle school students this summer. Desiree Catlett says the camp is hosted by the State 4-H camp near Halsey, June 11th through the 14th. This will be a camp for kids that are interested in wildlife, um, the environment in general. There will be different topics like soils, range, energy, water, water, forestry, things like that for kids to get involved with natural resources and the environment. And campers will get to go tubing and take part in archery and zip lines. It's $190 per camper, and many NRDs offer full-ride scholarships for the four-day camp. Contact an NRD office for more information. A Kansas Corrections Department spokesman says Kansas hasn't started moving hundreds of inmates from its oldest and largest prison, and that the warden was premature in saying so yesterday in a memo to employees. Warden Sam Klein told employees in a memo that the relocation of about 600 inmates was underway. Department of Corrections spokesman Todd Furtick says Klein's statement accurately represents what would happen once Kansas hires a company, perhaps by this fall, to build a prison to replace the Lansing Correctional Facility. Furtick says the department is only moving prisoners out of Lansing for routine transfers. Lansing's inmate population has declined a little since January, but remains above 2,300. The Associated Press obtained a copy of the memo from Kansas's largest union for state workers. Prominent Democrat and former legislator Paul Davis is considering a run for Congress representing the 2nd District of Eastern Kansas. Davis said he expects to make a formal announcement this summer after spending several months talking to voters. Davis was the Democratic nominee for governor in 2014, giving Republican Governor Sam Brownback a tougher-than-expected re-election challenge. His announcement ends speculation that he might seek the governor's office again. 
Whether you missed the game or need to replay that on-air interview, catch up with the podcast under audio-video at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Thank you, Dave. And again, news on KRVN presented by Heritage Homes of Nebraska, the preferred rural builder. You can find out more at heritagehomesofne.com. Jason Jorgensen on the Rural Radio Network. The annual Nebraska Red-White Spring Game is set for tomorrow in Lincoln. Here to talk about it with Sean Callahan of HuskerOnline.com. Sean, as always, thanks a lot for the time. No, it's great to be on. Thanks, Jason. Well, you've covered a lot of these springs over the uh, over the years. Um, what's your take on how this one has gone for the Big Red? Well, it's, it's been unique in a lot of ways. I mean, because you've got two really big storylines that generally don't happen in the same year. Uh, you've got... You know, two you know high-profile quarterbacks uh, that are brand new that starters at Nebraska. One of them will win the job, and and they both have looked impressive. But I mean, I think Tanner Lee would be the guy right now if I, everybody w- would have to project. But t- uh, Patrick O'Brien's looked really good, and then defensively, you bring in a hot-shot defensive coordinator. You're paying him um, as much money as you've ever paid an assistant coach in program history, and Bob Diaco, and 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 he's really looked the part. And I think from a fan perspective. Uh, people are going to be coming into this game to see the quarterbacks, to see Diaco, and then the recruiting weekend. I mean, there's going to be uh, upwards of 30-plus recruits with Nebraska offers, which is the most they've ever hosted on, on one setting ever in program history. So I think fans are going to look at the quarterbacks, the defense, and then when they get home on Saturday night, they're going to want to find out what recruits maybe are, are going to be joining the Big Red down the road. Well, Danny Langsdorf tried to make it work with Tommy Armstrong the last couple of years, and they had mixed results on that. How much comfortable do you think they are right now having their kind of a quarterback? Actually, two of those now in the program. Well, in Jeb, Tristan Jebby would be three. I mean, he's he's as good of a third-string quarterback as they've had here that I've seen in a long time. So they've got three really talented, polished quarterbacks that fit this system. And you're right, they, they really kind of had to make it work with Tommy um, you know, they, they did things that they've never done in their coaching career. They ran the zone read, the option. Um, they were in the shotgun a lot more because Tommy was comfortable in the shotgun, not so much under center. Um, so they did a lot of things differently just to try to win games and survive. And, and they did that last year, winning nine. And um, the ending was so poor, it kind of really soured. Um, you know, they were eight and two, or excuse me, nine and two going in Iowa. Losing the two games at the end really soured last year, but they still accomplished a lot with Tommy, and, and now they can turn the page and, and look to these guys. Today we're joined by Sean Callahan of HuskerOnline.com as we preview the Nebraska red-white game tomorrow. Sean, it seems like Coach Diaco has said uh, all of the right things this spring. How much progress do you think he's made with these guys, uh, You know, moving things over to the 3-4? And, and do you feel they have the personnel right off the bat to play this? I think their defense has surprisingly been um, better than most would have projected. The defensive line has been solid. Stoltenberg and Carlos Davis and Khalil Davis and Freedom Akamaladun all have had really good springs up front. Um, the linebackers have a lot of depth. There's probably seven that can play there in the four spots. Um, in the secondary, they've got a lot of returning guys there. And, you know, Lamar Jackson's transitioned to corner. Um, as a starter, and, and Kalu is now a safety. So, they, yeah, they, they've they got and, and what impresses me about Diaco is he's very hands-on. He's not kind of a CEO coordinator. I mean, he is leading everything they do. He's got his sleeves rolled up. He's out in the middle of it all. 
he's full of energy, he's full of passion, and the players really, I think, respect what he's accomplished as a coach over his coaching career. There's been some talk that the offensive line has not progressed as quickly as he would have liked. What do you think is holding this bunch back? Um, well, they tried some things. In the center position, uh, they were given Decker and, and Raritan an opportunity, and uh, I think they've just made the decision, look, we got to get our best five out there. Cole Conrad, the starter, and uh, both tackles, David Neville and um, you know are, are back, and Nick Gates, so uh, he couldn't start a tackle right now. So they, they moved him to center, where he's played before as a backup, but started like eight games last year or whatever it was. So I think a lot of it was just kind of finding that combination, uh, moving Conrad in the center. They're hoping, I think, will stabilize that line with five veterans that have returning starting experience. You mentioned earlier 30 recruits on campus this weekend. What would be a good number uh, in terms of verbal commitments they might be able to get out of this weekend? Yeah, I, mean, I really think there's an opportunity of three to four commits. Um, you know, uh, Bookie Radley Hiles is here from IMG Academy in Florida. He's originally from Calabasas. Uh, he's already in town. He was here at practice yesterday. And, um, he's one of the top corners in the nation, uh, top 50 overall player nationally. And I, I think there's a great chance they could land him um, just by the body language I've seen yesterday. You're in that practice with him. And, um, you know, Manuel Allen, a receiver. Uh, Mario Goodrich out of Kansas City, um, uh, Lee Summit West is a, um, a defensive back. They're on a four-star. So, yeah, I really think you could see there are four commits. By the end of April, being at 10 is not out of the question. Should be very interesting to see how it all plays out tomorrow with a huge crowd there at Memorial Stadium. Sean, as always, we appreciate the time and your insights. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. And that was Sean Callahan of HuskerOnline.com. Once again, the Nebraska Red-White Spring Game set for tomorrow afternoon. Kickoff is set for 1 o'clock Central Time. Of course, the Husker Sports Radio Network will have coverage of that event. The game will not be televised live tomorrow, so keep that in mind. However, the Big Ten Network will bring that back on a tape-delayed basis at 4 p.m. Central. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. Peter's back with you as we look at ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The recent wildfires in Kansas prompted an incredible response from producers nationwide who want to help by donating hay to those livestock producers who need assistance feeding their herds. Some of this hay may be moving out of areas under quarantine for imported fire ant or IFA. USDA's APHIS Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service has created a fact sheet that explains how to safely move baled hay out of IFA quarantine areas to where it's needed. The quarantined states include Alabama, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Mexico, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. If you buy, sell, or produce baled hay in these states, you should check the USDA's new fact sheet titled Questions and Answers Moving Baled Hay from the areas under quarantine for imported fire ant. This publication contains useful information for farmers, ranchers, hay growers, and suppliers as they respond to the wildfires in Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. 
And finally, approximately 118 4-H and FFA members from seven states participated in the Midwest Invitational Meat Judging Contest in Manhattan this past April 9th. The event was hosted by the Kansas State University Department of Animal Sciences and Industry and K-State Research and Extension. The contest offered a great opportunity to have students gain additional cooler time to compete and gain experience before their respective state contest, said Travis O'Quinn, assistant professor and meat extension specialist. The 4-H division included 30 identification, 6 classes, and 3 sets of reasons. The FFA contest included 6 classes, 30 retail identification, 2 sets of questions, and 6 carcasses for yield and quality grading. That's a look at your ag news here. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Taking place this week on Innovation Campus was a Water for Food conference. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Mike Baim. He is the Harlan Vice Chancellor for the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Mike, why don't we take a step back to last week for the Nebraska State FFA Conference. There was a lot of activities that took place here on campus. Why don't you tell us about those? Yeah, it was fantastic. So we had 7,431 FFA members from across Nebraska on campus, and they had a number of opportunities to explore Lincoln, explore the campus. They were on the East Campus. They were on the City Campus. It just really was terrific. The university also hosted a signing ceremony for those high school students. Why don't you tell us what that signing ceremony is? So this was a first of its kind, Jesse. We were able to uh, identify 78 FFA members, seniors, who were graduating, who had already committed to coming to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Most of them were Kasner students, but not all of them. And so what we did, very much like a signing day for student-athletes, um, we had them over in the, uh, the rec center. And we uh, called off their names, and they came through, basically gave high fives to me and to Dondi Plowman and to a number of faculty and deans. We had three senators there. It was really fantastic, who happened to also, two of the three also were FFA officers. and So that was neat, and uh, I think it was a special way to introduce students to uh, UNL and to the university and really get that connection solid before they even come their first year orientation. What does it really mean to have these high quality students coming to the university and kind of show them off on a day like that? So uh, no question about it, our students that are coming to us are really the solution generators, the problem solvers of the future. So for us to be able to take that uh, extra step, go that extra mile to make them feel a part of our community, to show the enthusiasm and the excitement, and, um, that's just really a critical piece. And what that will translate into is um, they'll be better equipped when they come, the likelihood of them doing well and, and then um, being retained to their second year and their third year and then ultimately graduating and then uh, helping move Nebraska forward. It's all part of, the, all part of that package. For the Global Water for Food Conference, you sat on one of the panels and was able to talk to the group. What did that look like? Yeah, well, it's always humbling, Jesse. I'll just keep telling you when you're in a room with uh, world leaders from all over that uh, are experts in water and uh, production agriculture and 
we're thankful that we have a lot of those folks here from Nebraska, but to actually be on a panel with uh, folks that are from, you know, three different countries, from industry, we had a, a dignitary on board uh, that had served 30 years in, as a diplomat in, in Canada's government. Uh, and then to look out, literally look out into a, a packed auditorium and see experts and, and really smart people. Um, a, it's personally humbling. But more more than anything, it was really neat to hear and see how you bring 400-plus people from around the globe focused on water, surface water, groundwater, production agriculture, and food production. Uh, it really, it really is um, a neat opportunity to host it, and I think Nebraska is ideally situated to to be a leader in this space, and we are. And so it was fun to see that, and I'm excited to see what comes out of this conference. We've been talking with Mike Bame. He's a Harlan Vice Chancellor for the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. For the World Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Corn Growers Association is now inviting farmers to become a part of the change they desire by actively honoring their leadership skills through the NCGA's Leadership Academy. And here to visit with us today about this is somebody who was formerly in the program, fresh off of the program, Mark Recker. He is a farmer from Arlington, Iowa. And Mark, I would like to start off with you just kind of telling us about your experience with the leadership program. So I got involved with the leadership program because I'm a director in the Iowa Corn Growers Association, and uh, so I would I we applied to be a, a part of the leadership program at the NCGA level, and so it's it's very it's a great experience. First uh, uh, get together was in August of 2016, and we learned about public speaking, some media training, some etiquette training, all different facets of leadership that can improve our abilities in those areas that we need. And then we had our second session in uh, March of this past this past spring, a month ago, where we learned about lobbying. We went to Washington, D.C. and learned about uh, the best way to lobby our congressmen and senators and uh, how to have a positive impact on our agricultural issues. Now, in this day and age, we are finding it is increasingly more important to be able to get our voices out there in a professional manner and in a way that they are effectively heard. Talk about how the program works that in, and then also who, who can apply for this program? Who is it appropriate for? So I think it's appropriate for anybody who's interested in taking a position of leadership in, in agriculture specifically. Um, if you're a member of your state corn growers association or others, we need leaders to step up. And this is an excellent avenue to go through to help train you, help give you those skills as far as working with people, to learn how to speak in front of people, learn about different personalities that make group group dynamics work, and and how to take charge and lead a group, and and basically learn about your industry. That's who it's for, and it's for anybody who's in in agriculture who's interested in in pursuing this. You know, we, uh, like I said before, we worked in different areas to help build those leadership skills. And I think some of the more interesting things, we brought in some some speakers from outside the industry uh, to talk about how ag is going to be impacting the world going forward, some things that may be off our radar, some things out of left field uh, that we're going to impact the agriculture industry going forward. And these are the kind of things that uh, a leader needs to know about to be able to look ahead to see how your operation is going to be impacted going forward. 
Very good. Thank you so much for your time today. We've been visiting here with Mark Recker. He is a, a producer from Arlington, Iowa, talking about the NCGA's leadership program. For more information on how you can apply, you can visit www.ncga.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Response has been tremendous for relief efforts going to wildfire victims on the plains, but your help is still needed. Farm and ranch families continue to recover from the March fires, which burned over a million acres in Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, and Texas, not to mention the loss of cattle, structures, and fences. Our wildfire relief link at ruralradio.com has many ways you can help donate cash, hay, and supplies. David Kloss and rancher from Inglewood, Kansas, says although help is still needed, they're overwhelmed by the response. It's just heartwarming to see the agricultural community and how they come together and support those of us that need it. You know, we're all pretty independent and learn to be gracious receivers, and we are. We just totally appreciate the support of the whole agricultural community, and that caring has been what has given us that extra energy to stay positive and know that we're going to be able to rebuild. These farmers and ranchers still need your help. Please visit the Wildfire Relief page at RuralRadio.com.